Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, It came to pass... In those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governoring Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. It's a true story. 
not loosely based on one, is true. Have you noticed that for everything God is and for everything God does, Satan has offered a counterfeit? If you think about it, you'll realize this, that all God is, all God does, and everything that comes out of him, God's enemy, Satan, who's also your enemy and mine, has created and offered a counterfeit. You know what a counterfeit is? It's something that is made with the intention to deceive. That's literally the definition of the word. Something created with the intention of deceiving somebody. And like I said, God, and for every genuine thing that He is and all the genuine life that comes out of Him, there is a counterfeit that is successfully deceiving people all over the world. And as believers, we're going to have to watch out for the counterfeit. We've seen this, naturally speaking, in the world. I mean, you think about somebody walking down the streets of New York City and comes across a guy selling watches. Bertha, get over here. This guy's selling genuine Rolex watches. And I can get it for $59.99. Look at this thing. Man, ain't that pretty. And his wife's standing there going, sweetheart, I don't think that's how you spell Rolex. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's R-O-L-E-C-K-S. No, this, is, this thing's real. Check it out. We're laughing about it, but people get fooled by it all the time. Not just with watches and stuff and things, but people are constantly in this life buying in to the counterfeit. And depending on what it is, you know, there are things that are, that are bad knockoffs. We're laughing about it. You just spell, spell the name wrong. That should be your first clue. This thing ain't real. This thing did not come from Switzerland. This was made in somebody's garage in Cleveland. This is not real. Don't buy it. But there are other people and other, other things that people go to great lengths in, in dressing it up just like the real. And, and people have developed pretty sophisticated ways of counterfeiting. You know this to be true. That on the surface, it looks just like the real thing. It's dressed just like the real thing. It's decorated just like the real thing. But the only thing the counterfeit can't do is copy what's inside. If it could copy what was inside, it wouldn't be counterfeit. It would be real. Now, this is happening all around us. There is a counterfeit life that the rest of this world is buying into in a big way. And I would dare say that one of the places you see this and the evidence of it, maybe as much or more than anything, is in this season we're in right now. Now, even though the scripture does not command us to observe the day of the birth of our Lord, ye December 25th, you know, there's nothing in the word about this command to, to honor this day on this day. And yet, let me ask you, is it a good thing? Is it a good thing that you and I honor what God has done by sending Jesus to us? Absolutely. And not just on one day. We ought to be living this thing every single day. But for what God has done in giving us Jesus and this season to honor it and celebrate it, you know this, 
There's a counterfeit Christmas. Right? What's one of the big indicators that you've bought a counterfeit? Let's, let's say you bought one of those Rolexes that you found there on the street in New York. What's one of the big indicators this thing ain't real? You want to know what it is? It doesn't last. It falls apart. It wears out. It breaks so easily. It won't keep time. It doesn't last. Now, unfortunately, one of the big, one of the big things that you see a lot through this season is people that get so fatigued, so worn out, that it seems like from the time they, they, they set off, I don't know, after Thanksgiving and it's all Christmas, you know, zero to 60 in, in two seconds and you didn't stop running until January 1st and people just get worn out and people just get fatigued and they get tired. If, if Christmas is wearing you out, you may have bought a counterfeit. You may have bought into something that wasn't real. And I'll be honest with you, and you be honest with me, we've all experienced this. The fatigue of it, the, the, the wearing of it, and it just wears you out and wears you down. And I'm beginning to realize and check myself on this, like, wait a second here, am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling cantankerous? Am I feeling worn out by what's going on? And if I am, then I bought a counterfeit because the genuine real deal came with peace. The genuine thing came with rest. And if I'm worn out, I bought the wrong thing. I'm buying into the counterfeit. And I've started to discover that for everything, for every sight and sound that goes with the real thing. Many of the sights and sounds we just read about from the book of Luke. And brother, there were some sights and there were some sounds. And those shepherds living out in that fields can tell you all about it. And they did. They told everybody. Did you, did you hear what we read? They made it widely known what had happened. We just out there watching sheep like we do every night. And all of a sudden this angel comes up and he starts preaching to us about peace. He starts preaching to us about this one that was born in Bethlehem. And next thing you know, there's thousands of them filling the sky. You talk about sights. You talk about sounds. You talk about lights. Oh, they were in the sky that night. You better believe they were. And they came preaching this message, peace, peace on earth. And of course, people have taken that and translate that as, okay, well, there shouldn't be any fighting and there shouldn't be any wars, but that's not the peace they were talking about. Justice and I, my son and I were watching football. I think it was last weekend or some point this week. And I don't know if you, if you watch professional football or not, but everybody has gotten on board in, in every sector of life, including in sports, where they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to preach to you. And some of it's motivated, I think, by a good thing. But Justice was noticing that on the back of the football helmets, this one, one said, end racism. Another one said, stop the hate. That sounds like a good thing. But Justice, my 11-year-old, he saw it. He said, does that say stop hate? I said, yeah. He said, is that ever going to happen? Is that ever going to happen? And I had to tell him, buddy, as long as there's evil in the world and, and evil in men's hearts, that's never going to happen. And it's certainly not going to happen because some guy put it on the back of a <laughs> football helmet. 
Do you think there's somebody out there watching TV who's just so deeply entrenched in their racist beliefs and they see end racism on the back of a helmet and you go, you know what? I really should. And yet people think that when these angels said peace, that it was like that that was going to stop all the fighting. That's not the peace they were talking about. It was God saying, me and you are at peace. The war between us is over. And I have figured out that when I'm getting worn out and fatigued with the season, it's because there's too much of the counterfeit around me. Let me just be honest with you here for a second. When I go from store to store to store and I'm punched in the face with the same stinking songs over and over and over again, it wears me out. Now, this is Christmas. Yes, it is supposed to be earmarked with these songs, these Christmas carols. And you're thinking, well, you're just a Scrooge, Jeremy. You, you just don't like this. season. no, it has nothing to do with that. I'm actually listening to this stuff. And it may just be my opinion, but I'm of the belief that anything sung by a chipmunk cannot be anointed. And I don't know if I'm taking this stuff too literally, but every time, now if I start harping on your favorite song, I'm sorry. But I keep thinking about this little drummer boy. pa rum pum pum So let me get this straight. Mary has just given birth. Nine months carrying this child. I don't know what labor was like, but she just gave birth. Sarah's had two children. I know what it was like. I was there for both. I I can tell you this. We weren't looking for a drum solo. We were not looking. I did not say to her, babe, isn't this beautiful? This boy little, he's so beautiful. You know what? You know what would be perfect right now? Some kid playing a snare drum in the delivery room. That would be great. I'll tell you the one that really gets under my skin. Have you heard this one? Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And the very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears. Anybody heard this song? I'll give it to someone special. So let me get this straight. Y'all started dating last Christmas, and it lasted all of a day. You broke up a day later, and you're still singing about it the next year? You are obsessed with this dude. Get over it. Quit singing to him, the one who broke up with you, about somebody else you're going out with now. This stuff wears me out. It absolutely wears me out. Because it's, the, the, the real thing's not in it. Now, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that there's not a place for these fun songs, but there's only so much I can hear about that stupid reindeer with the red nose. I just don't want to hear about it anymore. And yet, right on the other hand, a few weeks ago, Sarah and I were in a store and they had a music department and they were selling all these records. And I mean records, vinyl, discs, you know. And I had bought her a record player last year for Christmas So a couple of weeks ago, we're looking through these records and we come across this Nat King Cole Christmas. And then we found the Frank Sinatra Christmas and the Perry Como Christmas and the Andy Williams Christmas. And we're just buying all these things. And we got them home and and we crack them out, man. And we put them on the record player. and It's got that nice scratchy sound to it, you know. And uh, we start playing these songs. And of course, it's jingle bells and so on. And you get to side two of Frank's record. 
or side two of Nat King Cole. And my house gets filled up with these guys singing, Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. We put it on in the morning before the kids get ready for school. And, and they came to that one lyric in that first verse. We sang that today. Guys, do we have that? Can we put up on the screen, Hark, the herald angels sing? Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm just... <laughs> But I want you to see this. I want you to notice the difference. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Notice this next phrase here. Go ahead and go to that next part. Peace on earth. What's happening here? This song is coming out of the word. It's coming out of revelation. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And I think I heard Nat King Cole sing this. God and sinners reconcile. And when I heard that, just a few days ago, a week or so ago, I had been praying over this service and over you and what the assignment was to talk about today, and I heard it. God and sinners reconciled. Out of a song coming off a record player in the living room. That's revelation. That's the sound. That's the genuine sound. And I can hear it and hear it and hear it, and hear it. You know what? It doesn't wear me out. Did you, were you blessed by it today? I was blessed by it. I know you were. But it's because there's revelation in it, because we're tapping in to the real thing. God and sinners reconciled. That's the title of this message today, and that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes. Go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Don't get me started on Dominic the donkey. Has anybody heard this Christmas song, Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey? Boy. I liked it once and then I heard it again and I was like, okay, that's enough. We're good. We want the real thing. I'm done buying the counterfeit. Anybody else? Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read one verse here in verse 13. Then we're going to back up and read some of the verses around it. But look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you, somebody say he's talking to me. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's writing to these people and to us. And he's saying there was a time that you were far off. You were far away. In other words, there was distance between you and God. We know this in our own relationships. That kind of distance could be felt. It can be felt. I, I, I know you've experienced this before. You can be in the same room with somebody. You can be sitting across the same dinner table and be physically in the same place, but because of something that's happened between you, because of an argument or a fight or something that took place or it, it maybe a betrayal of some kind, man, it can feel like there's miles between you. And really, you're just a few feet apart. And he's saying here that there was a time that we were far off. And I don't think we really understand the kind of distance that sin put between us and our Creator. Because when Adam sinned, the, the, the Lord had already told them, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die in the day you eat of it. 
Now, if you don't understand what God's talking about, that might paint a picture for you that if I take a bite of this thing, I'm going to drop dead. My, my heart's going to start beating. It's going to be over for me. But that obviously was not the death that God was talking about when he said that to Adam because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and they didn't cease to exist. They lived for hundreds of years more. And yet, did they die that day? Yeah. Well, what is that death then? Death is separation. Death is separation. It's what happens to a branch when you separate it from the vine, when you separate it from the trunk of the tree. If you put any distance between that branch and that vine, it's dead. Because that branch to live is dependent upon all the life coming up out of that thing, flowing to it, flowing through it. And the moment you separate them, Death begins. And that's what sin did. And that's what sin caused between us and God. It caused separation. It put distance between us and Him. And we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. But what we do know was before sin, there was fellowship. There was a closeness. There was an intimacy. And we know that sin is a wrong thing and sin is a bad thing. But what we need to understand is what makes it wrong, what makes it bad, is what it results in. It results in separation. It results in distance. Sin is really just the enemy of intimacy. It's the enemy of that closeness and that friendship and that fellowship. And that's what happened to man. When he sinned, it put it put distance between us and God. And that's why he writes here that at one time you were far off. And I've been working over the last couple of days to try to understand that in a, in a way maybe I never have before. The kind of distance that it put between us and God. When we moved here, it's been over two years ago now, I grew up in Texas um, and not out in the country or anything. We were there in the city, suburbs, and and one of the things I noticed that changed in me right away when we got here was my fascination, if you will, with the night sky. I'd never seen it like that before. And even to this day, I, I will walk out on the back porch at night and just stand there and look and try to wrap my head around it. And it's hard. I downloaded this app that lets you hold your phone up to the night sky and where you see a light or a star, it'll, you can click on it. It'll tell you the one you're looking at. And I just stand there, and the kids and Sarah are probably getting tired of this, but it's like night after night, I'm like, guys, that's Jupiter. I'm looking at it. That's, that's Venus. And you can cr scroll through all the, the facts about it. And Venus is the brightest light in the sky next to the moon. And da 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 da, -da. You know, I'm learning all this stuff. But the thing that's, that's just boggling my mind is the distance. Trying to wrap my head around the distance. I was reading about uh, Pro Proxima Centauri. Do you know what that is? That is the nearest star to our solar system other than our sun. The nearest one. And it's something like almost five light years away. 
And then you start crunching the numbers and you realize that a light year is how far light can travel in a year at 186,000 miles per second. So light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, not an hour, per second, it would still take it five years to get from us to, to Proxima. That means approximate, the closest one. Five years traveling at that speed to get from here to there. That's distance. I did the math on it. It's something like almost 25 trillion miles. And then you start looking throughout the sky and you, I clicked on one the other day and it's 487 light years away. And there it is. In other words, light could travel at 186,000 miles a second for 487 years before it would get there. You don't want to go shopping in Denver. That's an, that's an hour and a half from here. Oh. We'd love to go to Orlando this summer, but it's just so far away. We have no concept of distance. And when I read about the distance that sin put between me and God, between you and Him. I don't think it was a few miles, a few hundred miles. I think we're, we're probably not even doing it justice to say it was 25 trillion miles between us. There was some distance between us. There was a time that we were far off. Now back up to the beginning of this chapter, and read about why we were so far away. In chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, You he made alive who were dead. We were separated. Why? Because of trespasses and sins. There was 25 trillion miles between us because of sin. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom... Also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. There was nothing different about us. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were 25 trillion miles apart from him because of our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Now notice every time you hear this word together, he made us alive. How? Together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up. How? Together. Made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens. <laughs> Talk about 25 trillion miles away. Being aliens 
from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were what? 25 trillion miles away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why did he have to bring us near? Because we were so far apart. We were so far away from each other. And at that kind of distance, there's no friendship. There's no fellowship. There's no intimacy. Something had to bring us near. Something had to close the gap. Something had to put death to the distance between us. And see, the, the, the Old Testament believer, God's people under that first covenant, they understood this. They understood what sin did. They understood that it kept them at a distance from God. They understood, don't you go near that mountain. You touch that mountain, Sinai, and you will drop dead. Why? Because the presence of God was all over it. They understood, don't you go into that holy place. Don't you go strolling in there. Why? You got sin on you. And, and that can't go in. This flesh of sin, that can't go in there. And that's where they were like, okay, uh, you, high priest, you, you go. Tell God we're sorry. You, you go say, you go apologize for us and, and we'll, we'll make this sacrifice. And when they made that sacrifice, they understood something about it. That it was not just a symbolic death of an animal. They understood that when that priest laid hands on that animal, they were, that priest was imparting to that animal the sins of the people. And when that animal died, they understood that the distance between them and God was dying. He was putting to death the distance between us. Now the only other thing about it that they understood was that it was just a type. It was just a symbol and that it really couldn't do what they needed it to do. It would cover sin, but for a little while. And if they were to turn around right after that sacrifice and go commit that sin again and do that thing, that wrong thing again, guess what? That distance between them and God is restored. And where there's distance, there's death. And that is what kept them and God so far apart from each other. But God, who is rich in mercy, saw us in that state, separated from Him. And instead of saying, well, you're going to have to come my way. Instead of saying, if you want to be close to me, you're going to have to come. You take some steps towards me. He took the first step. In sending Jesus... His whole effort and the motivation behind it was to bring us near again because we were so far apart. Now this keeps going in verse 14. And he says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You hear that? That separation. Jesus is our peace and he has made both one. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile, the ones who were close and then the ones who were far apart. He broke down this middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man, a new man, a new creation, if you will. 
Because that old one can't come close to God. And if he, Jesus is going to get rid of the distance between us and Him, it's going to have to be a new creation. Not a counterfeit of anything. Not something that looks good on the surface. Not something that's dressed up like the real. Something that's got it really going on on the inside where it cannot be duplicated. Where it cannot be counterfeited. He's saying, I'm going to have to make a new one of these to restore the fellowship. To restore the closeness and the intimacy. He's the one that wants it. Let me just jump ahead of myself right here and say this. Don't you ever, ever again say, I just feel so far away from God. Stop it. I know we tend to say it because I know the feeling that goes with it. But don't you dare let some feeling, some fleeting feeling that you may have be bigger to you than what Jesus did to close the trillions of miles between us. If you've got to, you say, I don't care what I feel like. He brought me near. And if he did it, be it unto me according to your word. I am close. I'm close, I'm close to God as my next breath. The word says that, that he is near to me, even in my mouth and in my heart. I don't feel close. Shut that up. It doesn't matter what you feel. We don't live by what we feel. We live by what we see in the word of God. And if he said we're close, we're close. We are close. He said in verse 16, We'll back up to 15 again. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile. I know we're not reading something out of the so-called Christmas story, but without this, there is no Christmas story. And this is the story of Christmas. The story of Jesus' birth is Christmas. The story of Jesus' death is Christmas. The story of Jesus' resurrection is Christmas. The story of His ascension is Christmas. The story of Him coming close to us and us coming close to Him. That is Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. What is it to be reconciled? Go back to that kitchen table where, where the two of you sit and you're, you're literally just... a a few feet from each other, but you feel miles, millions of miles apart. What do you need? You need some reconciliation. The bringing back together. Always interests me when these words get used in, in so many different ways. Reconciliation, we understand it as, you know, two people who were at odds and they made up and now they're friends again and everything's good. It's an accounting term. It has to do with making sure the books line up and that what's in the account matches up with what went out from the account. It's, it's accounting. What's the correlation here? The correlation is that sin put us under a crushing weight of debt. It put us under a debt so big that to even think of paying it would be laughable. And reconciliation, being reconciled to God, is God looking at the books, looking at what we owed Him, and just releasing the debt. And looking at you, and for lack of a better word, just saying, we're good. We're good. 
You ever said that to anybody you've been in a fight with before? Guys are good at this. Sometimes I feel like women, you need to sit down and you talk it out and then you get, you get to the place where everything is, is reconciled. And then when two guys, when one guy makes another guy mad, the other guy looks at him and he's like, bro, we good. We good. So whether you are, you know, using a bunch of words or just a couple, the point here is reconciliation. And God, there's a bunch of words in here <laughs> that go to prove the links that he went to to reconcile you. But at the end of the day, he's looking at you. And you know what he's saying? We're good. We're good. But what about what I owe you? We're good. How could I ever repay you? We're good. We're good. Thank you, Lord. We've been reconciled. Verse 16 again, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He put to death the distance between us. And he came, talking about Jesus, and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Somebody say, I've got access. You've got all access. I mean, again, you go back to that, that old covenant believer, and that was the one thing they knew. I don't have access. We got to get this guy to go in there for us because I can't go in. I don't have access to that place. And this is what we need to understand that the coming of Jesus has done for us. And not, again, not just his birth, but his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. All of it was to give you access. Access. And not just access, but he has invited you to come boldly before the throne of grace. The throne that seat of power, the greatest power in all the universe. Do it tonight. Look up into the night sky. Look at the vast distance between us and, and these stars and these planets that are around us and realize that the greatest authority and the greatest power sits on the throne of heaven. And he's the one looking at you going, we're good. Come on in. And, and if you're smart, you might go, really? Are you sure? I can come in there and everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to be fried to a crisp. I'm not going to be smited or whatever that means. No, but he's saying, come boldly. Come boldly before the throne of grace. How can you do that? Because you've been given access. You've been reconciled. God and sinners have been reconciled. Let me give you something else to never say again. That you're just an old sinner saved by grace. Church, you can't be both. You cannot be both. You cannot be a sinner and saved by grace. You can either be a sinner or you can be saved by grace. And once you've been saved by grace, it was the blood of Jesus that did what the blood of bulls and goats and animals couldn't do. His blood didn't just cover your sins. I can hear those religious wheels turning. Wait a second, what now? No, no, no. The blood of bulls and goats covered sins. The blood of Jesus washes them away like they never existed. And because of that, here's God. You know what he's doing? 
It's like you tied to some rope. And it's this 25 trillion mile rope. And the blood of Jesus is bringing you close. And bringing you closer and closer and closer and closer. And you have been brought near. And he's saying, okay, you've got access. Come on in. Now, the only way you're going to come boldly before that throne is if you know what's waiting for you when you get there. If you think that there's some judgment and some anger and some condemnation waiting on you when you get to that throne, you ain't coming in and you certainly are not coming in boldly. But when you realize that it's the throne of grace and that what's waiting for you is grace and help and mercy, you will come in and you will come boldly. And you don't have to pray through somebody else. You don't have to pray through this saint or that one. Why would you pray through them when you can come through Jesus? This is direct access. Can you see now why I would tell you, don't ever say again, I feel far from God. I just feel like we're so far apart. I just feel like God's not near. Well, you're being lied to. And you're buying into some counterfeit Christianity that has nothing to do with the real thing. The real thing says he's near. The real thing says you've been brought near. Now, don't you love this season? This season is when we celebrate, like we sung already today, Emmanuel, God with us. Not far apart from us, with us. Right here. Probably more like that. God with us. Closeness, intimacy, friendship, fellowship. Let's look at one last verse in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you, Lord. Musicians, you guys go ahead and begin to come. This is familiar to you, but 2 Corinthians says in chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has, what's he done? Reconciled us. We're good. We're good. Because of the blood of Jesus, we're good. Because of his sacrifice, we're good. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, listen to this, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So notice what happens. Once you have been reconciled to God, and now everything between you and him is good. He turns right around and gives to you this ministry of reconciliation. 
One of the things that Sarah and I are so big on in our ministry and in this church is you finding out what your ministry is. You have a ministry. That's why we spent the last number of weeks talking about what it means to serve the Lord and to serve each other. You have a ministry. And I think people have such a limited understanding of what it means to be in ministry. They think, well, if I'm in ministry, give me that microphone and I'm going to be on that stage and I got something to say. That's not at all what I'm talking about. You have a ministry. He said here that we are ministered. We are in the ministry of reconciliation. And the great news is you didn't have to go to four years of Bible school for this. You don't have to be a Greek scholar, a Hebrew scholar to be in the ministry of reconciliation. How do you become qualified to be in the ministry of reconciliation? You want to know how? Be reconciled to God. Accept what Jesus has done that he's paid the price, that everything between you and God is good, and then he makes you, he anoints you to be a minister of that same reconciliation to other people. Now think about the distance that existed between us and God. Now compare that to what that stupid little thing is that exists between you and your brother-in-law, or you and your, you and your family, you and somebody who's coming over this Christmas. Because there are people right now, I know it, they're dreading this family thing. They're dreading the gathering. Listen, if you're dreading this, you've bought into the counterfeit. Because the real thing comes with peace. The real thing comes with joy. The real thing comes with reconciliation. And you are a minister of it. You are an anointed minister of reconciliation. And if there's somebody in your life be it family, friends, where there's been distance between you. Maybe you used to be close and something happened and it got between you. Listen to me. You're anointed. Come on, church. Are you hearing this? You are anointed. You are a minister of reconciliation. That anointing is on you. The same anointing that was in is on Jesus that reconciled us to God, that brought us back close to Him, that's bringing us near to Him. That same thing is on you. Now, it might require, you know, controlling the tongue a little bit. It might require you not saying everything that comes to your mind right when it comes to your mind. But you're anointed. Somebody say, I'm anointed. You are anointed as a minister of reconciliation. That's what this, what we're celebrating today, all the rest of this week, and as believers all the rest of our lives, we're celebrating this reconciliation. And if you really get a revelation of it, you won't be so easily offended. You won't let things get between you and your spouse. You won't let things get between you and the kids or you and your friends because you realize, man, I, I, I got this anointing of reconciliation on me. And you, you want to applaud people's efforts and their effort to stop the hate and end racism. But folks, we'll never be able to legislate evil out of somebody's heart. You're never going to pass a law that makes some racist dude not racist anymore. You can put it on the back of all the helmets in the world. But it's not going to do anything in the hearts of men. What is that? 
What is it when you've got it on the outside but not on the inside? It's a counterfeit. And it's unproductive. It has no power in it to do anything. All this division that's in our world right now, guess who has the responsibility to bringing it to an end? Now, we can't change people's hearts. That's between them and the Lord. But we do recognize we are anointed with the ministry of reconciliation. And the Bible says, as much as is up to you, live at peace. Live at peace. I love what the scripture says about drawing near to God. You remember this? Draw near to Him, and what's going to happen? He will draw near to you. But when you read that, you got to keep this in mind. He's already taken the first step. Jesus was God's first step in sending him in the form of a human, a baby born to Joseph and Mary. This is God saying, I'm taking the first step. I want intimacy again. I want fellowship again. Now, there are people that would think, well, if Jesus has already reconciled the whole world, then then, you know, what's there left to do? No, it's like with any gift that you're given this Christmas. If you want to enjoy that, what are you going to have to do? Receive it. You have to receive the gift. And how do you receive it? Find the nearest five-year-old and watch. That's how you receive it. There will not be one child among any of the houses represented in this congregation who comes downstairs on Christmas morning and sees presents with their name on it and says, Oh, Father, thank you, but I'm not worthy. It's too much. It's too good. I I have not been good enough to receive. You want to know how to receive the gift? Watch. Watch the joy that comes across their face. Watch the excitement. Watch the eagerness and watch them rip it open with some enthusiasm about it. That's how you and I are supposed to receive the gift. You have to become like a little child if you want to enter into this. So this morning, I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I realize we're a family of believers and I would dare say most every one of us in here You know what it means to be reconciled to God. You have been. And a lot of you can look back and remember the day it happened. When you received the gift. When you heard these words or words like these. And and you wanted to, to close that gap between you and your father. And you did it. But if there's anybody in this room this morning who has lived at a distance from God. And I'm talking at a distance. I'm talking 25 trillion miles or more away from your Creator, you can close that gap today. And you can be as close to God as your next breath. You can have His Word in your heart and in your mouth. But it starts with receiving this free gift. It starts with believing that Jesus is your reconciliation and the payment for your sin. Is there anybody in here this morning that would raise a hand? that wants to pray this prayer with me today to be born again, to be saved, saved from hell and eternity and saved from hell on earth. Anybody in here today that has lived without this access to God and you want it, let me tell you, you need it. This life 
is not fair. It's not nice. It's not pretty. You need access to this help. You need access to grace. You need access to mercy. And this is how you get it. You make Jesus the Lord of your life. Is there anyone that would raise a hand this morning to be born again? Be bold about it if that's you. And allow us to pray this prayer with you. Rejoice over you. Shout about you coming home. Anybody in here today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Why don't we just all say this out loud together? Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm done being God. I'm done being my own Lord. I call you Lord. And I receive this gift of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the highest price and for drawing me close. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we yield ourselves to you this Christmas time, this season. And we will be, at your leadership, ministers of reconciliation. Lord, if there's been anything between us and a brother, us and a spouse, us and a friend, if there's any distance between us, Lord, use us to be the ministers of that reconciliation, the ones who close that gap. And we thank you today for reaching out so far across the universe to pull us near to you again. Thank you for closing that gap. Thank you for drawing near to us. And as we draw near to you, you draw even closer still. We are so thankful. Jesus, we are so grateful. Grateful that you came. You were born of a woman. That you lived this life and you are easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Thank you so much. We are so eternally forever grateful for the price that you paid. Thank you for drawing us near. Thank you for restoring closeness and friendship and fellowship. Thank you for that intimacy that we have with you today. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray over this congregation. And Lord, I know that there are many that have been very busy. There's been a lot going on, a lot of going to and from. But I'm asking you, Father, to quicken on the inside of us at any point over the next few days if we're getting getting fatigued, getting worn down, getting worn out, getting frustrated. Help us to recognize where we've bought into the counterfeit. And show us what's real. Show us what's genuine. No hypocrisy in us. No pretense, no falseness, no lying. All we want is what's really you. Is what's genuinely the spirit of this season. We yield ourselves to that today in Jesus' name, and we worship you.
thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.